The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, homegrown in Hatfield, Massachusetts, and providing energy savings for their customers for over 10 years. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm starting off with a correction. Yep. We had a great chat with Larry Spotted Croman from Okiteo Cultural Center in Ashfield and Carlos Uriona from Double Edge Theater in Ashfield, who are welcoming the 12-foot-tall puppet Little Amal to town this weekend. We said correctly multiple times that the puppet symbolize, that symbolizes the plight of refugees globally would be in Ashfield on September 10th. But we said incorrectly multiple times that September 10th was Saturday. Little Amal will, in fact, be in Ashfield Sunday, September 10th. Apologies for the confusion. I blame it on the long weekend. Okay, that's... That's our answer. It's fine. <laughs> we all got it wrong. We did all get it wrong. Yeah, so there we go. But okay. now you know. Yes. The 10th. The 10th is when you should go see Little Amal. And it's Sunday. And it's Sunday. Later in today's show, Comedy Cause returns to the Academy of Music in Northampton this Saturday, which is actually September 9th, because now we know what date now Saturday we is. Yep. <laughs> we'll talk to two of the comedians, Tim Lovett and Kim DeShields, and also Ann Teschner from the cause they are supporting, the Care Center in Holyoke. And it's September, and in the 413, that means apples. Far fewer apples than in years past, but we'll hear about how an apple orchard tucked into the suburbs of Springfield is doing, the Apple Place in East Longmeadow. And taste all of their delicious apple things. But first. Hello. I hear birds. Oh, oh, wait, no, that sounds, that's a mammal. No, I think it's a bird. Is it a bird? Is that a par- It's a parakeet? There are two parakeets. They're a pair of keets. Uh, a pair of parakeets. There's a blue one named Blue Jay Soda Water. And then there is a yellow one named Sharpie Kitty Cat. I wonder how they I got names who like named that. Those. <laughs> yeah, not me. So are we talking thee thou? We're actually going to talk about you and thee thou. You're going to talk about me? No. There's that show called You, and then there's that famous, I think it was Laura Ingram thing about where they couldn't, they were talking about the show <laughs> You. You know, I was watching an episode of uh, You where measles came up. Wait, wait, wait. When did I mention measles? I don't know. It was on you. What was on me? What are you talking about? Right? What is the, the measles hearing what and I'm the saying? vaccine? I never had the measles. Was on you. We never did a measles and vaccine episode. Am I? Is this a joke? I know. I don't even know it, what you're talking about. It was on you. It was on you. I've never had Raymond. I've never had measles. What are you talking about? This is stupid. It was an episode of a show, Laura. What's it called? You. What is you. It's called you. I've never done a show on measles. I just completely give up. We gotta get it's out. It's a show I, I give up. called you on Netflix. There's a show called Loring on Netflix. What are you never talking mind. about? I'm moving on to Adele. I can't explain this to What's you. I, I've watched that clip a thousand times. It's funny to me every time. Well, there's also yes. this. There's also the Simpsons one where he's like, "Only who can prevent forest fires?" <laughs> you pressed you, referring to me. That is incorrect. The correct answer is you. We're going to talk about you, not me. Fun with pronouns. Pronouns are just fun in general, and we're in a we're in a situation. Emily Brewster, resident wordster from Merriam-Webster, where people are wrestling with pronouns in a way that they hadn't been maybe 10, 15 years ago. I don't know if that's true. I think it's just more in public zeitgeist, like in public view, that people are making other choices with pronouns. But some of it really is legitimately tricky. So let's talk specifically. Ab- let's yeah. talk about you, meaning <laughs> Emily Brewster, resident wordster from Merriam-Webster in Springfield, or the pronoun you. 
Well, we can talk about you, but maybe we should just start with they, because they is the bigger one. It's the one that's at the forefront of the cultural conversation about pronouns. Mm -hmm. right? And of course, people that don't want to subscribe to the gender binary may not want to be identified as he or she. They may want to be identified as they. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yes. And this is not a new phenomenon, but it is tricky for people who have a hard time knowing how to address a single identifiable person with what is traditionally a plural pronoun. Mm -hmm. Except that it also is a very, very long history of not being a plural pronoun. We are all familiar with cases of they being used where it's an unspecified person, right? Uh, I'm going to be out for a while. Uh, someone is going to call. Tell me if they called. Right. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm referring to a particular person. The person is not known. It's not important what their identity is. And I'm using they to refer to a particular person. That's been around for hundreds of years. Similarly, also, you know, each student needs to complete the test. They should each bring a pencil, right? Like each one of them they should. We are familiar with they doing this job in the language. What is newer and newer as in like, you know, from the 1980s and really only becoming much more common is they being used to refer to a single identifiable and identified person. And the question there is for many people who are trying to trying to figure out how to negotiate this linguistically, what's the syntax there? Do you say they is or do you say they are? Because we are used to using is with, you know, he, she, is. And so it somehow feels like maybe the natural choice would be to go with is. But no, we go with are. That is by convention and that's because that's just how it naturally has been happening. But when I think about this, I like to go back to the history of English and the territory that we've been through before, because we've been through exactly this kind of thing before with the word you. Oh, and you, I mean, we like you, <laughs> not just you, Emily Brewster, who is with your parakeets, if you're just tuning in. She's not at a basketball <laughs> game, and that's the sneakers squeaking in the background. I thought it was like chinchillas at first. Well, I thought it was birds, and then they were making this this sound that chinchillas often make. Small riddance. But tell us about you. You! What is you! It's called you! I've never done a show on measles! And how this <laughs> pertains to the conversation about they. Well, the word you was originally solely a plural pronoun. And we see evidence of this in the fact that we say you are no matter who we're talking to. If we're talking to one person, you are my friend. We're talking to two people, you are my friends. We use the plural verb are in both cases, right? Mm -hmm. regardless, that it gets the plural verb. And that is because its history is as a solely plural pronoun. We used to use you in the object position. So like I sat behind you in homeroom. But we would say ye sat in front of me in homeroom. <laughs> so ye was in the was in the subject position, the nominative case, and you was dative accusative in the objective case. If we wanted to use singular, what we now would use as a singular you, we used thee and thou. Thou was the one in the subject position, like thou art my friend. 
and uh, I gave thee the apple. This was just how we spoke in those days. But English has steadily lost its cases, it's lost adjective endings, it's just kind of flattened grammatically as a language. Shedding excess. um, (laughs) Yeah, shedding excess and gaining much vocabulary because actually the simplicity of the language's grammatical structure makes it easier to borrow more words. So it's actually helped make English far wealthier as far as its lexical content goes. But what happened, and we don't really know why, but we lost ye, and we started to lose thee and thou, and you took over for all of these cases. Was you still being used as plural in that same time frame, or was it not being used at all yet? No, no, you was explicitly the only plural pronoun in the objective case. Uh-huh. So mm. you would say ye for the subject and you for the object. Now, in other European languages, especially in French, French was having a big impact on the English language this time period time, mid 13th century, you know, everywhere after 1066, when that Norman invasion thing happened, we had this long period of time where French was really affecting the language in very dramatic ways, especially in vocabulary, but also in these more structural ways too. And you started to become not just plural, but also formal. Mm-hmm. And as you became more formal, it added this kind of social pressure that you would want to show deference, you would want to be polite to someone, you would use you with them. And thee and thou came to be restricted only to the people you were really intimately familiar with or people you disdained. It's like two and so, instead in Spanish, where there was, so you was the, the more formal. That's interesting. I've never yeah. heard that before. And then thee yeah. and thou, which sound so formal to us now, right? were uh, informal. I mean, yeah. I, that makes sense if it's connected to French, like vous and you sound very similar. Yeah. So if French is partially the language of nobility, it makes sense that you would end up being somewhat more formal because they sound so similar. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I hadn't even thought of that, really. But you, I mean, the French language and French culture was very much dominant, very much the prestige class in this period of time in English. <laughs> they had all the positions of power. And uh, so if you if you wanted to also be like someone who had a position of power, you would use this more formal way of speaking. You would also use more French vocabulary in general. We're speaking with Emily Brewster, resident wordster from Merriam-Webster, our word nerd, talking about the pronouns you and the pronouns they. And of course, this has entered the cultural parlance about people who don't identify as a single gender using they, them. And Emily Brewster, our friend, former editor at Merriam-Webster years ago, Corey Stamper taught me this helpful little rhyme that I've used before on the segment. Roses are red, violets are blue, singular they is older than singular you. And that's true, right? (laughs) So whenever anybody hems and haws about having to use the they, them pronouns and then the word are after it, as opposed to is while referring to an individual, it is older, in fact, than using you in that circumstance. That is true. That is true. Now, again, it wasn't for a particular identified singular person. So there is a part of it that is new. But as far as the the grammatical case against singular they, it holds no water because it really is older than singular you. Now, there was a period of time when this shift was going on. English speakers noticed this loss of the and thou. People wrote treatises about it. It was a it was a big deal. People did not like it. Of the Quakers maintained it because they felt like it was really important and still do in some cases. But it also got kind of dangerous to maintain it because it was so despised. But there was something that I think is funny. It'll go on. 
people for a time would say you is my friend, for example, when they were speaking to a single person. So you becoming singular for a while, there was this uncertainty about what the verb should be. And people did use the singular verb when they were talking, when they were addressing a single person. Huh. So you would hear you is. By the 18th century, that practice was, was pretty much gone. Uh, and people would say, you are my friend, you know, if they were talking to a single person or to multiple people. But then there's evidence even now in contemporary vernacular, especially African-American vernacular, where that would still be commonly used, I would think, you is. Yes, yes, it does survive in some dialects, yep. And then yeah. my, I know this is not exclusive to the Italian-American culture, but my dad always called more than one you, use. Yeah. Use guys, and I use it informally myself but for fun because I think it's, it brings more clarity. Well, that also happens in Dutch and German communities too. That happens across Appalachia, like you use. Yeah, multiple. Well, I grew you. up in Pittsburgh. We would say yins. Yeah. Oh, see, I, I didn't. I've never used that one, but that one's fun. And, and then there's y'all all over the yeah. the south. Y'all, y'all, yeah. y'all. Yeah. And each of these, are, they're all addressing this issue. This, this, you know, English lost some clarity. <laughs> As the, you know, we had this elegant clarification with pronouns and we, we dropped it and we just started using you for all these different cases. So these, these other pronouns, these other forms of you are very useful in that case. One of my favorite online critiques of this debate comes from a woman who tweeted on what is formally called Twitter, but I'll never call by that new name, probably. It's like Great Woods. We'll always be Great Woods. Um, <laughs> the person tweeted, any English teacher who uses they, them as a singular pronoun should lose their teaching license. <laughs> <laughs> to which the author behind Coraline and American Gods, Neil Gaiman, just retweeted it and said, that's beautiful. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> His feed is quite wonderful. But I think it's really nice of Elon Musk to name the entire organization after that one intersection in Springfield. Right. Or the um, the gender that you can put on your license in Massachusetts now. And if you want to continue to use they, them pronouns, go for it. Yeah. So with this are a new crop of pronouns that have arrived, which I also think are really interesting, too. Is Merriam-Webster keeping an eye on this? Sure. Like Vaughn and her, H-I-R. Yeah. And yes, yes. Yeah. There's so many obscene pronouns. And, and X-I-R, sir. Yes, yes. And they're not, they're, some of them go back quite a long time. There's a fabulous oh, really? book by Dennis Barron called What's Your Pronoun? And he catalogs, I think it's like close to 300 of these. Wow. He is very much the authority on this topic. That is and, cool. um, and yeah, some of them are, I mean, this is, it has, it has been a known problem in English for hundreds of years. And people have come up with many solutions over those years. They, it seems to be the, you know, it's it's certainly the one that we're seeing most often right now. And it is a pretty elegant solution in that it's familiar to people and it already, it already has these other functions in the language. But it will be interesting to see if some of these others get as established as the non-binary they is in English. Yeah, I don't see very many of them outside of sci-fi and the queer community, but I still kind of love them. Yeah, well, those communities are not small also. No. And they, they have every every bit as good a chance of of making some vocabulary and you know have consistently actually in the past introduced vocabulary to the broader speaking english speaker population are a lot of those pronouns being used already part of merriam-webster's dictionary or are they still kind of in the words that you're watching category at this point yeah i don't think we have not entered any of those yet but we are monitoring them we're watching them we have evidence of them going back a long ways they don't frequently appear in published edited text 
And that is really what we are looking for always, you know, not exclusively, but that tells us that a word or a use has crossed a threshold in, in a way that suggests that it's going to be around in the language for a long time. Is the same thing happening with the the gender neutral versions of like Mr. and Ms. and Ma'am, the MX? We've entered MX for a long time now. Ooh. And um, Latinx is also in there. You know, folks is another interesting F-O-L-X. That's the spelling that I use pretty much yeah. exclusively now. <laughs> We've adopted it for the show by and large as well, because it's, yeah. it's homage to... Uh, Elon Musk's new social media platform. It is sure not. But what (laughs) I understand about it is that it's just a more inclusive, gender-free way to say everybody. Isn't folks gender-free anyway, though? Yes, but... It's just kind of doubling down and saying... No, really everybody. We believe this to be actually everybody. It's also um, one fewer letter to type. That's right. Right. It's explicitly inclusive (laughs) as opposed to implicitly inclusive. I think it's so interesting how it's a word that you only know it's being used if you see it. Right. right? It's it's like audibly there's no distinction. And yet English is, is doing that sort of thing these days because we have so much. We communicate in writing so much. Well, Emily Brewster, we love talking about you. (laughs) And by you, I mean the (laughs) singular, the plural, and also the person. I'm just a singular me, by the way. (laughs) Just just singular over here. But you contain multitudes. Yes, don't we all? (laughs) We all do. That's why we're all they, them. (laughs) Our content development director here at NAPM, John Sutton, said when he went back to Pittsburgh recently, they were selling T-shirts at a farmer's market that said, Yins? is a gender-neutral pronoun, and they were selling like hotcakes. I believe it. Later in the show, get ready to laugh with the folks from Comedy Cause 5 coming to the Academy of Music on Saturday, September 9th. Again, now that we know what dates are. Right. And the organization we're laughing to support, the Care Center in Holyoke. But up next, all the apples we can still enjoy this season with Cindy Normandon of the Apple Place in East Longmeadow. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Apples are complicated, much more than anybody actually thinks. And to do organic apples in New England is really difficult. That's why UMass, we we all do like integrated pest management where we're catching stuff, only spraying when we need to. But with the rain and such, it's extremely difficult to do organic. And nobody wants to spray a lot, but there is a lot to learn there so that there's new things all the time. New pests that are going to eat the trees as well as the apples. And, you know, it's always some challenge (laughs) that's come along. But it's a good community of growers in Massachusetts. And as a woman, I've never felt, like, out of place. I never felt like I wasn't just one of the people there. You know, like, a lot of farmers took me under their wing. You know, 80-year-old guys that, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'll tell you what to do. Sure. It's post-Labor Day. I put the white pants away. It is official. <laughs> you own white pants? They're just asking for dirt to be on them all the time. I know. The you can wear them one time. <laughs> yes. And it is apple season. And it's time for another Local Hero Spotlight with Phil Corman from CESA, the Local Hero folks. And here we are in East Long Meadow. After coming down the highway, going through the city, and feeling like you're in a very urban setting, we are, it feels like in a hobbit-type village 
of Apples and Apple Delights. What's your name? Hi, my name's Cindy. I'm one of the owners. Uh, it is full of Apple Delights. I have an apple turnover and it's delicious. And you might not hear me except for chewing. Khalees will be sampling the wares while we talk about the Apple place. It's, I mean, it does feel like a fun, cute little village that comes up almost out of, out of nowhere after you're in an urban I'm slash. I'm as happy as when I held the baby goats right now. <laughs> it's like an urban, then suburban, and then all of a sudden farm setting. So tell us about the Apple place, Cindy. Um, so my father started the farm back when, in like 1972, I think. We moved all the apple trees from Springfield, Mass. We had an orchard there um, where the plaza is, where Big Lots is. Oh, wow. That was an orchard. He did the apples for years. And when he passed away, I moved here. Decided that I wanted to keep the farm going. Um, I went to culinary school. I was a chef for years. So it seemed like a good fit to open a bakery, which we did. Kept the orchard going. We switched over to the trellis kind of planting now. I got a lot of help from UMass learning about apples, thankfully. They have the yeah. extension program. They do a lot of uh, excellent yeah. consultation for our farmers. Yeah. Very good. And we opened the ice cream shop maybe six years ago and it's been good. The pandemic transformed a lot of what you were doing business-wise here at the Apple Place in East Longmeadow. Yes, although it was hard because we had to wear masks, everyone had to wear masks, we had to kind of police everybody. It increased, I probably quadrupled our business, I'd say, because we started doing things that we didn't normally do, posting the menu on Facebook every day, things like that, which it kind of got shared more and more people saw it and people would call with their order. Um, we also opened up more space in the back so that it wasn't so crowded. It could be one-way traffic. Yeah. Yes. Which is where we are now. We're sitting in the back. Yeah, so nice and shady back here. It forced us to do some changes that maybe we wouldn't have otherwise. How's the turnover going, Khalees? Ah, it's so good. It's so, like nearly gone. <laughs> so I'm kind of curious because uh, I know the pandemic in some odd ways were really helpful to some farm businesses because it felt like, as you were saying, kind of a safe place to go, get quality food that you could trust by people who are growing the food. So now we're semi out of the pandemic. How's business these days? I, I'd say we did maintain kind of that increase that we experienced. There are more challenges now, I'd say. There's still challenges with pricing, you know, on, on ingredients and such. Labor, a lot of people went out of the food service business as a result of the pandemic. So it's hard to get staff and it's hard to get people that are competent. The young people kind of coming up, they haven't learned some of the basic things that I did maybe when I went into the workforce, like how to wash a dish, how to count change interacting with customers. I think there's a little bit of a gap there because of the pandemic with the, all the social media that they're on. So those things are a little bit harder, I'd say, as a result of the pandemic. And the weather, of course, you know, nothing to do with the pandemic, but the weather's kind of all over the place too. So as a farmer, you want to plan, but a lot of things are out of your control and that's difficult. We're with Cindy Normandon at the Apple Place in East Long Meadow, a beautiful apple orchard and agro-tourist business right in the suburbs outside of Springfield. A lot of our apple farmer friends lost a ton of their apples, upwards in some cases of 90%. That's kept people in certain orchards from doing pick your own. What's the story with your apples here at the Apple Place and how has the weather affected your apples this season? So we did lose probably 75% of our apples. Because and of the flooding or because, because of what? Of the frost. Because of the frost okay. in May. If you look at the orchard, there's apples kind of up front, but even just the sloping down where it's lower, there's none. Mm. You know, mm. so uh, the ones that we have have some frost damage from that night as well. So there's like a brown stripe in the middle. Oh, they still taste good. They still will bake well and such, but you know, not attractive yeah. <laughs> for selling. A lot of the growers that we would maybe supplement from don't have much either. 
Um, right now we're getting some apples to resell from Glastonbury because they seem to have been in a little area where it didn't affect the growers down there. How many varieties were you growing? I see Cortland's and this kind of looks like ginger gold, but it's some... That's Matsu. Matsu. Oh. Uh, they're very ugly this year, but... That's okay. Yeah, so... I don't care. They taste delicious. <laughs> so some of them, we have just like four or five trees, but we do have some heirloom ones. I'd say right now we're probably at 50 different varieties. Have you seen like some varieties that withstood more so you'll see them more when you come to stands like this? Well, it, it probably depends where they were in the bloom process because like if, if the flowers were still on, that's the time where you're going to lose the most. Someone who's maybe up on a high place, uh, like a mountain or something, would be, be better off because the frost kind of settles. And this is, uh, Eastland Meadows, very low. So I think it's more due to where the trees were in the process of growing rather than the variety. So how many farms are there now today, 2023, in East Long Meadow? Well, there's really, I would say, three. Meadowbrook Farm's quite a big farm. They sell to Big Y and such. Then there's us, and then there's uh, Crow Hill Farm, which is a small organic farm, and she does... I think I can hear them from here. <laughs> yeah, that's them. <laughs> she does, like, a CSA, but we do buy things from her when she has extra as well, like our tomato um, croissants today are with her tomatoes. So that brings us to the bakery. It's not just an apple farm. People are coming in, getting their coffee, getting breakfast. Tell us about what there is at the apple place on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, so we do have a big selection of croissants. We've kind of done more savory things as a result of the pandemic as well, which we weren't doing as much of before, but we do a lot of fruity things. You know, we do muffins, scones, savory croissants, sweet croissants, pies. Uh, Mostly we try to use our own fruit, and this year we'll be able to do that quite a bit. Turnovers, as you just saw. Please didn't even save me one bite. No, I'm sorry. You were. I don't want. Hold on. I just wanted one bite. Cut it in half. (laughs) (laughs) You're used to dealing with kids, I say. (laughs) Yes. The time to have hit. I almost stopped you, but I was like, we're in the middle of an interview, so I'm not going to grab it. Filling. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I want. I just want a little taste of sweet. It is wonderful. Like it smells like the bakery at the orchard that I went to growing up. There's something really nostalgic about it, and again, it's a great turnover real nice pastry like real nice filling like not overly sweet well-balanced spice i like it and you do cider donuts and things like yes. that too yes we do and our neighbors kind of hate us because the smell like wastes out <laughs> into their yards every morning but it could be a marijuana farm <laughs> the other thing that you do is you have what i referenced before some agro tourist type stuff so you have a corn maze here we do so we i have a special needs daughter so we've decided like several years ago when we did it to make it very interactive inside because sometimes you go and it's like, okay, when's it going to end? You know, we would yeah. just want to get, get out. Get me out of here. Yeah, the children you know, of the corner trying like to reap me. the blank thing, you know. For instance, we did Wizard of Oz last year. We had a full yellow brick road. We had a full munchkin land, all the characters, etc. This year we're doing Hometown Carnival. So there's Chuck a Chicken. There's all sorts of interactive games like throughout. I think it just makes it more fun for the parents and for the kids. Yeah. That starts on the 16th and that's open just on weekends. How long have you been doing the corn maze? This is our sixth time. And we've done some pretty amazing stuff. We have like a team of 
friends that get roped into these things <laughs> and they're it's, always it's like what, what are we doing next year <laughs> you know so we've built a giant pirate ship out of pallets and all sorts of things the challenge this year is going to make a giant circus tent using the trees in the front of the uh so they're going to actually work on that today we have some college kids that help us that are in engineering so uh -huh, to them perfect. it's fun there we go <laughs> we're in the back here at the apple place in East Long Meadow with Cindy Normandon, and there is crows from Crow Hill. Farm. The crow from Crow Hill. You can hear that. <laughs> the crows have eyes, and you better not look them in it. Where we're sitting says music. You do live music here at the orchard too. Yeah, we do. Um, usually Friday, Saturday nights, and Sunday afternoons. It will be ending once it's too cold for their fingers to yeah, right. be able to function um but yeah it's it's really fun there's kids dancing it's it's a different kind of vibe than a bar you know it's very there's no alcohol there's here and no, no alcohol. the musicians that come play here are who we have some high school kids that play and some very talented people we we do also with artists bring them in on a sunday let them set up to try and encourage them to do what they're good at uh, they, there's not a lot of places for for young kids to play yeah and we have a lot of young kids that work for us so we get a lot of uh, information through them regular musicians love to play here too they say it's their favorite place because of the peacefulness you know usually the sun is setting behind them and mm. such so it's just a little different you and know? you just won the best live music venue from some what, yeah, where from did... Rita Raves, we won Best Bakery, Best Live Music, and Best Family Destination. <laughs> That's fun. I can understand why. This place yeah. is adorable. It totally is adorable. So I want to get back to Hamden County and the uh, increasing urbanization that's happened over the years and the fact that you were saying Big Lots was where your dad's original farm was in Springfield. How many acres do you have here on the on the farm right now? Uh, presently, we have 14, so it's not a huge farm, but you can really do a lot, especially with the high density planting uh, with, with trees now, and the corn maze is like six and a half acres. It's enough, you know, to take care of, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> but you don't need to have a huge place to, to really make a, a difference and grow a lot of stuff. How much acreage did you have when you were at the plot with Big Lot, where Big Lots is? I want to say probably seven acres or eight acres. So still kind of an increase moving here, like a oh, little yes. bit more space Definitely. to use. My father was not a farmer full time, but that was like where his heart was. We had a giant gardens. We always ate off the land, you know, so I just grew up. It's just kind of normal to be barefoot and dirty. <laughs> and I didn't ever have white pants on. Well, That's good thing, because Labor Day already come and gone but also just sensible because like laundry is real and sometimes you get real angry about those stains yeah so i guess what i ruminate on a little bit is that you know so many farm businesses like yours were there for folks during the pandemic to get their food to have a safe place to go to connect with other people it was outside it was beautiful and this year's been really hard on farms and this is really the time that we need everyone to visit their favorite farm places and some new ones because if we want to keep the farms going in you know East Long Meadow and elsewhere we need to be there for farms when it's tough for them too. I totally agree. A lot of my farm friends that are older they're discouraged you know it's these people have huge investments in labor for pruning and they also make commitments ahead to bring staff in which you can't get out of you know so their expenses still remain high but they have no crop whatsoever and some of them are thinking about not doing it anymore and it's it makes me sad where will we be without local farms? The, the state, I feel the state of Massachusetts is very good about wanting to keep the farms going. But individual towns, I don't think as much. 
Um, you know, East Long Meadow has kind of put in their master plan that they want the farms to remain in East Long Meadow because that, that makes the town special. It's still kind of sad and upsetting that the number of farms had to dwindle to three for them to go, oh, wait a minute, we should maybe hang on to this. This is actually important. You can't go back. Once it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. And so that's why I moved here and like changed my whole life. It's really hard to plant apple trees in a big lot. I don't think it would go good. And an Applebee's, though. Who knows? Oh, stop it. And also CESA, Community and Sustaining Agriculture, has been very supportive and another farming community type of situation where not everybody's an apple farmer, but farmers are farmers and we're all in it together, you know, so some people are maybe doing goat cheese at their farm or meat or or whatever, but getting all those people together and having CESA in our corner, I feel is a huge advantage in Massachusetts. Does it tie you into the greater farm community? Because East Long Meadow has three farms, so maybe you're close with those two, but there's tons of farms if yeah. you go north of here. It absolutely does. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, at some of the events, you meet people, you come up with ideas, maybe based on their experiences, good or bad. You share ideas with someone who's new because people did that with you. You know, so I think those are all really positive things in Massachusetts that I don't think every state has. What's your favorite variety of apple that you grow and did it survive the frost? I would say it's Matsu is my favorite and we do have some ugly ones, so we'll be eating those quite a bit. Delicious apple, crisp and just a little tart. Macallans too, I think are really good. That's Phil's favorite. I mean, that's (laughs) just a superb apple. So you've got the corn maze happening now and Fall Fest, which we will not mention further, but... Because um, it's already so successful. It's so successful. But during other times of the year, do you have other events that also happen, or is just fall, like, the big blowout time because it's harvest time? And you're an apple place. And you're an yeah, apple we do. we do a lot of summer things because we have the ice cream syrup. So we have, um, like, paint and sips. No no alcohol again, but uh, kids' things. You know, the library, the East Middle Library does a lot of classes here or reading events and such. Every week there's a couple of things from the library. We have an author signing coming up. I just say yes almost to everything <laughs> because someone's like, I wrote a book and I want to come. Well, let me just look at it first. And then, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, sure. Because people did that for me when I was first starting. So many people helped me with the apple orchard and such. My father was not a good teacher <laughs> as far as uh, teaching about what to do. He was just like, you just do this. And then, wait a minute, you're walking away. What are you saying? Um, so I did have some some guys that really came alongside me and supported me and answered all my questions. But uh, my dad, honestly, really couldn't read and write very good. He grew up during the Depression, and so he quit school and went to work, like, really young because there was no food. So he grew his own business, you know, without really being able to do those things, which is pretty amazing in itself. Totally amazing. But, yeah, not a big talker, you know. Mm-hmm. He's all, you know, World War II work. Yeah. You know, so I, I do know how to work. That's for sure. You don't want to have an orchard if you don't know how to work. Say that for farming in general. It's a lot of work. But good work. We appreciate it. So otherwise, we won't survive. Cindy Normandon at the Apple Place in East Long Meadow, right in the suburbs outside of Springfield. It's a straight shot. From, it's literally a straight shot from my house, actually. That's nice. Well, now you can come here and get us some apple turnovers every morning. Uh, every morning? Yes. <laughs> Leave an hour. I won't eat any of house. them. I'll yes. ask for one bite of them all. One bite of them all? A note that CISA is an underwriter of NEPM. And now we get to laugh a lot for lots of good reasons. The folks from Comedy Cause 5 and the Care Center join us next. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. (laughs) 
Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Comedy Cause 5, Back to School, is happening this Saturday, September 9th, at the Academy of Music in Northampton, and will feature comedians Kevin Lee, Janet McNamara, Tim Lovett, and Kim DeShields. Emirates native Kim DeShields, a.k.a. Boney, was a semifinalist in Nick at Night's Funniest Mom Contest, a contestant on Last Comic Standing and Ladies of Laughter, Funniest Female Finalist. She has opened for comedy giants like Tracy Morgan, Bill Burr, and Leslie Jones. Kim is also a radio host on WEIB 106.3 Smooth FM. Tim Lovett, another one of the comedians, has been doing comedy across New England for the last decade. He got his start in comedy in Massachusetts, and he was a guest on a previous episode of The Fabulous 413 when he was the commencement speaker at the Literacy Project's graduation ceremony at Greenfield Community College. Comedy Cause 5 is a benefit for the Care Center, which helps young mothers and low-income women go to college. Their groundbreaking programs and unique integration of education, arts, and culture have been recognized nationally by the White House, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, the Boston Globe, the New York Times, and a little organization called NPR. Hey, I know them. Do you? <laughs> and with us is Ann Teschner, the executive director of the Care Center. Thank you all for joining us. Welcome, Tim and Kim and Ann. <laughs> now, Tim, um, let's start with you, because when I first heard about comedy uh, cause, you were the one kind of behind it all with your comedy as a weapon idea. And I know you and Kim, both comedians, are, are part of this comedy as a weapon. What is comedy as a weapon? All right, Comedy is a Weapon is a production, a uh, comedy production uh, group where we just put on uh, comedy shows and uh, uh, we showcase our talents and bring uh, great comedians that we work with and travel with uh, to our city. Instead, our city can't go to them, so we bring them to our city. It's a hostage situation. <laughs> <laughs> Kim, which hostages have you taken for Comedy Cause 5 this uh, Saturday? No, no, no. That can be used against her. <laughs> Evidence. Who else besides you two are going to be there that you're excited about? Uh, tell us about those comedians. Okay. Kevin Lee and Janet McNamara. Yes. Uh, it's funny because Kevin Lee is actually a comedian I grew up watching on TV. And then I had a chance to work with him. I was like, I, I, I want to do a show with you so bad. And uh, Janet McNamara, I was actually done a couple shows with her in Boston, and she was a contestant. <laughs> actually, she got her start in comedy because she was a contestant on Americans, American Idol. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> did she do comedy instead of singing, or did she have to sing? She she did sing, okay. but it was one of those. <laughs> that was the comedy. Yeah. Was... <laughs> now, Kim, you but you've been on these national like comedy shows. How what was that like for your career mm. as a comedian? Well, I'm here. Uh-huh. <laughs> there you're, you go. It you're was on successful. a very small, brand new <laughs> local radio show on an NPR affiliate, Kim. That's big. <laughs> <laughs> As they say, I'm blowing up in reverse. Like it's, it's, it's not working out. So, uh, you two work together on who the beneficiary of comedy cause is going to be? The Care Center in Holyoke. How did that uh, come about? As the beneficiary of this event happening this Saturday at the Academy in Northampton. I thought it should be me, but all right, Tim. Tim rightfully picked a very good cause. <laughs> going to get a question out. I'm just going to sit over here like <laughs> with stomach cramps the whole time. <laughs> so it, it happened because um, um, like, you know, as you know, Comedy Call started by me wanting to give back to organizations that helped me get back on my feet when I, were, when I was homeless and uh, uh, down on my luck. 
But I also went back to the same uh, shelter I used to to live at and started working there as a case manager. And uh, so I would see young women come in there um, separated from their, their children. And, you know, I just wanted to do something. You know, I just wanted to use my, you know, talents to do something for people who need something done for them, I guess. And the Care Center's executive director joins us as well, Ann Teschner. Uh, we got a little bit of a glimpse into the work of the Care Center from what Tim's had to say from, from the intro there. But what do you think of as the, the mission of the Care Center in Holyoke? Well, um, we're there to uh, help young women uh, with children to uh, continue their education. So they they come to us um, having dropped out of school, and our commitment is to get them to and through college. So we help them if they're at the GED level, we help them pass the GED. Once they do that, we have a college, uh, an associate's degree program, free um, program uh, run with Bard College. They can go straight from high school dropout to college graduate. I think you've actually been requested to be on this show by several other, other listeners people. <laughs> who have said, you know who would be really interesting to talk to is Ann Teschner from the Care Center in Holyoke. So people really do care yeah. uh, about the work that you are doing there. Have you, have you been there since the founding of the center? Or The center is almost 40 years old, and I've been there for 25. Okay. So not quite the whole time. Not, but that's a good long time. Not quite the whole time. Yeah. And when did the relationship with Bard College begin? Well, we've been uh, working with Bard College for about, oh gosh, 15 years now. Um, we started with something called the Clemente course in the humanities. Oh, of, of which is through the MLK Center here in, in Springfield. Actually just opened up applications if people are interested. A very similar program on a shorter time frame. That's right. That's right. And that we... Um, Brought that I read about it in Harper's Magazine and said, wait a minute, that's the exact sensibility that we have here at the Care Center. So we approached Bard and said, would you do that here? Um, and they said, sure, let's do it. So we, we launched the Clemente course. And then based on that, um, it became clear that they uh, could help us start an associate's degree program at the Care Center. And our commitment is to really move families out of poverty. And you if you've got a couple of kids, you're not going to make it on a GED. You're just not. So the commitment to um, moving people to and through college just made a whole lot of sense economically, but then also, you know, intellectually. People are intellectually hungry and so are really happy to be able to study the liberal arts, which is what the degree is in. But to make that all happen... We've got extensive supports. So we've got a nurse practitioner on site. We have on-site free daycare. We have four vans. We drive people to and from the care center. We do food. Uh, what else do we do? We do arts. We do poetry. We row on the river. You know, we, we really have a, a, a rich environment for people to fall back in love with education. That's Ann Teschner, who's the executive director of the Care Center in Holyoke. They're the beneficiary of Comedy Cause 5, which stars Tim Lovett and Kim DeShields, who join us in studio. More with Kim and Tim and Ann about Comedy Cause 5 coming up in just a little bit. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. And we're talking about Comedy Cause 5, happening this Saturday, Academy of Music in Northampton. It's a comedy benefit for the Care Center in Holyoke. We're joined by two of the comedians, Kim DeShields and Tim Lovett, and the executive director of the Care Center, Ann Teschner. You're from Amherst, Kim. 
I am. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> Telling all the business. Tag. Okay. <laughs> like, like the things that we can drag out of you from your website is what, what we end up asking questions about. But like what drew you to comedy? Like being from from here, it's not necessarily where I like outside of what you two have built. It's not necessarily where I think of for like comedy music. Sure. Other arts. Sure. But like comedy, not so much. What drew you to making people laugh? I think it's because I grew up in a funny family. So I was born in D.C. and my, my dad was just so funny. My mom was funny. My sister, just everybody. And they were so quick and so smart. And I just... You know, it was almost like you had to. And so when we ate dinner together, you that was your training ground. Like, you, you that's how, you know. <laughs> I have a family like that. And when I bring people over, they don't, they're like, we couldn't follow him. Like, I've had years of training here where, like, if you can't keep up, you are left along the road, like, way back there. So, like, you just learn to keep pace with people who have wit like that. So that's cool. And I'm the only one in the family that does that. So nobody wants to talk to me. <laughs> How did you know how to turn that key into turning into stand-up comedy, which I have never even tried to do? I think it's a terrifying art form. So I think I went out into the world and tried to maintain a normal job and a normal life, and it, uh, you know, it, it wasn't working. <laughs> we, we call that source material. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I just said, you know what? Let me just go. I think someone introduced the idea to me that you could actually chase and catch your dreams. And then, you know, so I said, let me just go try because it was something I was just drawn to. I think, you know, you have to have a certain amount of mental illness and uh, guts to, to do this. <laughs> As evidenced by the Fresh Air interview before this show with Maria Bamford. <laughs> Tim, you got your comedy. St- you're not from here originally, but you got your comedy start in Massachusetts. How did you turn that key and, and realize that you wanted to get up? behind a mic and do comedy? Well, I didn't really didn't have a choice. I actually went to a, a open mic one time and I was uh, asking um, this woman, like, how you do comedy and what should I, you know, uh, how, how would you do uh, prepared jokes and everything? And she was like, "Do you, did your friend think you funny? I was like, yeah, my friends all think I'm funny. She was like, do you have material? I was like, yeah. I didn't have material, but I said I did. <laughs> She was like, watch my purse, man. <laughs> and I thought she wanted to get another drink, and she came back. And then next thing I, I hear is like, we got a virgin coming to the stage. Give it up for Tim Lovett. <laughs> and that woman was Kim DeShield. <laughs> that's how you use comedy as a weapon, which is the name of the organization that you two put together that bring comedy to all sorts of different places throughout the Valley and beyond and are doing a benefit for the Care Center in Holyoke this Saturday at the Academy of Music. And the executive director of the Care Center, Ann Teschner, joins us. Uh, for if, if people want to get involved in the kind of work that you're doing, helping women advance educationally, what should people do to learn more about the work that you're doing at the Care Center? Well, um, certainly we've got a website. People can check that out. People can give us a call. We work with lots of um, volunteers. Um, we welcome passionate people at the care center. So we, it's how many of the programs started. Um, the, the rowing program, for example, I'm a rower. I was like, everyone has to row. Let's go. <laughs> you know, that, that kind of a thing. And, and we're very much open to 
people from the community who have skills or interests or loves um, to share them with our students. Uh, these are, again, women who, for the most part, have not had a fun time in school. And so we're really committed to it being um, challenging and fun and expansive. And um, it, it's, it's fun, fun place to but be. You also have a teen component at the, the care center, too. It's not just young, not just young mothers, but often, but just young women in general. Yes. So you can come to the care center. We have students ranging from 14 to oh, at the micro college, probably the oldest is 35. And in many cases, um, the people in the micro college have been with us for the, the whole time. So they may have graduated, gotten a GED, um, gone off to do something else, and then come back to the micro college, like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to go to college now. Um, but it couldn't happen without all the supports. It's, a, it's, a, it's what everybody should have. You know, basically, what do you need? What's in your way? We'll get that out of the way and uh, give you space to be a, a brilliant woman. Do you have any idea how many women the care center has worked with in the 40 years of its existence here in Holyoke? Well, let's think here. We work with about 100 women a year. Um, so what's that? I don't know. A lot. <laughs> it's 40 hundred. <laughs> right. It's 40 hundred. It's 40 hundred. That's my level of math. Wow. Yeah. We're not. Yeah. We're just going to let that be. Yeah. We, we already got the dates wrong. Like we're getting the math yeah. wrong. Anything too. number related. You got to keep away Doubling down on bad numbers for us today. Any idea how much money these comedy care things have raised over the years? You're not there? supposed to ask that. Tim, are, well, we, want, we definitely, we want to know. Yeah, we can. <laughs> yeah. 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 Some of us feel like, yeah, we want to uh, know. Well, well, we, I mean, we raised over like $10,000 over the year, thousands and thousands of dollars, I mean, um, for these various causes. Um, but each year, you know, the, the good thing about it is each year it goes up. The number goes up, and we had to stop for a while because of COVID. You know, everything stopped for a while. Um, so, you know, but that's the good thing. Now people know about us. They support us. They like us. You really like us. <laughs> <laughs> we do really like yeah. you. We you're really welcome. like you. You're welcome to come back anytime. Your <laughs> comedy too. is having a cause or not. Tim Lovett, Kim DeShields, two of the comedians will be part of Comedy Cause 5. This both fantastic on stages. Yes, they are. Sure. I've seen you both perform live, which is really yep. fun. Um, uh, ah. Happening this Saturday, Academy of Music, and Ann Teschner, who is the executive director of the Care Center in Holyoke, who is the beneficiary of Comedy Cause Yay. 5. Thank you all so much. All the single men come out. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow on The Fabulous 413, Ruthie Carter is coming to town to celebrate the book, The Art of Ruthie Carter. And and she's coming on our show to talk with us again here at the NEPM studios in person before you can see her at the Artist Cafe in downtown Springfield. She won two Oscars. Plus, we'll talk to Chelsea Klein of The Cancer Connection and Tara Brewster of Greenfield Savings Bank about the fundraiser, The Bed In. And we'll have our weekly conversation with Congressman Jim McGovern. Got a question for the rep? Email thefab413 at nepm.org or text 800-639-9120. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Cleese Smith. Thanks to our tireless Fab 413 team, and we'll see you tomorrow on the Fabulous 413. You had enough of fighting it'll make you choke. You can't provoke, you can't cope. You should have broke because I ain't no joke.